This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. can change the course of history. You're a Yankee! You're on the other side! I'm not on anybody's side. It's a dangerous trip back to the Civil War. No, Mickey, don't! So travel at your own risk. Go ahead! It could be a one-way ticket. Now you're stuck here forever. On an all-new episode <laughs> of Friday the 13th, the series. Next week, don't be left behind. And you are listening to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows in the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Zeneca. And tonight we are continuing our coverage of Friday the 13th of this series with episodes 13 and 14. Incidentally enough, this is the second episode 13 that we've covered of Friday the 13th, the series. And Mr. Zeneca has the episode synopsis for us. Yeah, too bad it wasn't actually aired on a Friday the 13th, so... That won't uh, happen again <laughs> until next summer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, this episode, Eye of Death, originally aired January 30th, 1989. A devious antique dealer uses a magic lantern to travel back to the Civil War so he can steal artifacts from dead soldiers. And this is a historically somewhat accurate, inaccurate, uh, historical fiction kind of episode of Friday the 13th. Um, there are a lot of events and dates that take place in the episode, and I am not a Civil War expert to even know. However, Mr. Zeneca happens to be living in Pennsylvania, <laughs> where the Battle of Gettysburg took place. Uh, yeah, um, this is not Gettysburg. You know, this was no, it's the not. Battle of Antietam. Yep. This is particularly uh, important to, you know, what they're portraying here because y you see a lot of background Civil War, you know, stuff, explosions and people and, you know, be people being shot and a limb coming off, you know. Like, it is violent. Um, and this was, this Battle of Antietam is the single most uh, highest casualty day of the entire Civil War. So in battle there were... Uh, there were 75,300 Union soldiers and 52,000 Confederate soldiers. And those were just the, uh, you know, people in combat. The dead count uh, is actually, on the Union side, 12,400, and Confederate side, uh, 10,300. So it was extremely bloody. In one of the, you know, in my research, uh, some of the... Uh, quotes that I have taken from people said that uh, this war was kind of a bloody stalemate 
where the north side and the south side really didn't get anything accomplished other than McClellan, uh, who was the Union uh, Major General, George B. McClellan, he retained the field that they were actually fighting on, and General Robert e. Lee's uh, forces didn't have opportunity to advance. So it basically stopped their uh, forward motion. But other than that, it really didn't accomplish anything. And the date that they put in this episode, which is September 17, 1862, Sharpsburg, Maryland, uh, the this was basically, according to Lincoln, one of the um, <laughs> one of the it wasn't a clear victory. There was no real clear victories, but it was as close as he could get to having a victory. And uh, January first, eighteen sixty-three, uh, the Emancipation Pro- Proclamation uh, took effect. Did you ever see the movie South Park? The movie. I did. Okay, remember the line when uh, the uh, when uh, Chef, the uh, played by the late great Isaac Hayes, uh, says, uh, "Have you ever heard of the Emancipation Proclamation?" <laughs> and the general says, "I don't listen to hip hop." <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but if there's anyone who can get away with that joke, it's on South Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. South Park also had another episode where um, the, they were doing a Civil War reenactment and. Uh, a s'more schnapps company sponsored them, so they were getting all schnockered on schnapps. Yeah. And then just, like, changing history in their own minds about the Civil War. It was hilarious. It was hilarious, but not bloody, just more vomiting and, uh, you know, peeing everywhere. <laughs> Did you ever see... What's that famous Civil War movie called? Uh, not God's... Glory? And... No, no, I actually I've never seen Glory. I'm looking at it because Martin Sheen played General Gettysburg. Gettysburg. Oh, okay. okay. Gettysburg. Okay. Now, have you ever seen Gettysburg? I I did actually see that one. I liked Gettysburg, but I do believe a lot of people's assessment that Martin Sheen played Robert E. Lee as this like depressing, really down on his like luck war hero. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh... Now, when I was in the t- uh, 12th grade, I had to do a report on Robert E. Lee. Something which I don't know if if they would be doing reports on Robert E. Lee anymore today. It's like, let's just get this out of the way, because it, it, was, it was bound to come up eventually. So, in the news over the last two years, if you've been living in a cave, then you probably weren't aware of this. But all of the depictions of the Civil War involving the South have been taken down, for the most part. For the most part. You can't even buy copies of the Dukes of Hazard on DVD these days, because the General Lee, you know, the it's, car... It's covered in the Confederate flag. It's covered in the Confederate flag, which is a symbolism of... Uh, slavery, basically. There's no other symbolism for it other than slavery. Now, when I went to private school in Waynesboro, Virginia, for three years, I stared at the Confederate flag almost any time I had to go to the principal's office because right there on his wall was the Confederate flag. And the one time I went to the principal's house because I was on my way to the doctor's office and we had to stop by his house. He lived in like a log cabin, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. His wife had their house decorated in... Gone with the Wind merchandise. Yeah. Which couldn't yeah. get much more south than that. That's true. <laughs> and That's I asked true. him, and of course the only question I asked him was, have you ever seen Scarlet? And he's just like, we don't talk about that movie. <laughs> Scarlet was the made-for-TV movie sequel to Gone with the Wind starring Timothy Dalton. 
the course former James Bond. In the DVD was... TV section is copies of Scarlet, the Gone with the Wind sequel. Hmm. Which I'm like, wow. I remember when that was coming out. I remember that being a big deal until people watched it and they hated that movie. You know, I had heard about it, but uh, I I am not a big Gone with the Wind fan, nor am I a big Southern State fan in generally. But it was funny that it just you know you gotta say Timothy Dalton, unfortunately, as good as he was in any role that he does, like Penny mm-hmm. Dreadful, maybe, or you know Flash Gordon, and of course James Bond. I I, I hold him up as a decent James Bond. He is no Clark Gable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn. In this episode, General Lee is played by Bernard Behrens. Behrens? B-E-H-R-E-N-S. He died in 2012, so he is no longer with us, but he has quite the career going back to playing a TV series I hope we would cover one day. He played Gustav Van Helsing on Dracula the Series, which was a syndicated one-season TV show, half hour each. Um, and Sounds he, perfect for a dead TV podcast review. And he's also been in two other episodes of Friday the 13th we've covered. The Pirate's Promise, uh, mm-hmm. which I think was also the 13th episode of season one, and The Quilt of Hathor, The Awakening. He played the Inquisitor. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so we've actually talked about him before. And then we have uh, Atticus. The- Atticus Rook, yeah, uh, played by uh, Tom McCamus. McCamus, yes, who apparently is still with us and was in recently the uh, in not the room but Room, which was an Academy Award uh, nominated movie, and he was on uh, Orphan Black for several episodes. So was the Room the movie, which was the making of the Room the movie? No, no, no. Room is about the chick who's trapped in the room and then like raped, and she gives birth to a daughter. Ooh, I hadn't even heard about that one. You didn't hear about this? It came out like no. three, it came out th- yeah. That 2000- sounds like right up my alley. About a woman who's raped and gives birth to her. Yeah, a young boy. I love disturbing films. Okay, a young boy is raised within the confines of a small shed. I yeah. So that his mom, I believe, was raped and uh, played by Brie Larson, who is going to be playing Carol Danvers, aka Captain Marvel, coming very soon mm-hmm. in both Captain Marvel and Infinity War Part Two. Oh, by the way, the uh, the uh, the actor who played Atticus was also on Mutinex. <laughs> and uh, he was also in Ginger Snaps, Back to the Beginning, which is uh, also a uh, the prequel to the whole Ginger Snaps thing and has nothing to do with the first film. Um, Abigail, who is the young woman who helps out Ryan when he's stuck in the past, is played by Brooke Johnson. Uh, and she was in this sweet hereafter, uh, Degrassi, The Next Generation. Uh, Earth, the Final Conflict, which I was a was a syndicated TV series. And this was actually one of her first roles. Yeah, this was one of her first roles, but she's been a pretty much a bit part actor up until 2007, and then she doesn't seem to do anything anymore. Yeah. Uh, then we also have Jack Creeley, uh, who you might know as playing the he was the uh, the guy on the monitors in Videodrome. Videodrome. Yeah, he was also in uh, Doctor Strange Love. Yeah, and uh, he plays some... Easton. In the episode, but he was also in Police Academy. Police Academy, uh, lots of te- like cop dramas. Yeah, but it's funny. His career ends in 1990 because he passed away in 2004. Wait, okay, so his career ends in 1990, but he doesn't pass away till 2004. There's a big gap there. That's well, like 14 you know. years between him not working anymore and uh, him passing away. So I'm only wondering if he was like just sick for 14 years, maybe. 
No, no. I mean, people do other things, you know. But his career literally starts in 1952 and goes to 1990, and then he just stops acting. Yeah. That's really yeah. weird when I see that sometimes. Especially I mean, he when... died at the age of 78, so... But he didn't die until... He didn't die, though, 14, until 14 years after he stopped acting. So that's what always kind of makes me go, what the fuck did he do all these years? So he quit acting when he was 64. I'd say retired. But, again, if you've ever seen Videodrome, go check it out. It's totally awesome. It's right up Mistress, K- uh, Mistress Zeneca. Oh, I love, the, I love the movie. Yeah. All right, I lo- let's go I love on. the chest vagina. Yeah, basically. <laughs> All right, let's get on with the, uh, the right, episode. Right. Which opens okay. up in uh, September 17, 1862, with Robert E. Lee. Yes, and, and we get a lot of the background elements about the Civil War, such as, like, troop movements, death count, like... You get even if you don't know anything about the Civil War, you get the idea and the sense that that there's a lot at stake. Everything is at stake. You know, the thousands of people dead. Robert E. Lee doesn't want to give up. Yeah, you know, people are urging him to 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 move his troops. You know, so you get a lot of you know exposition right in the in the first few moments there. Which and we then, get the history lesson that Mr. Zeneca already went over. Um, <laughs> So, uh, and I wrote in my notes, please give history lesson about this part of the war, as I'm not a Civil War expert. So, Jack goes to an auction of Confederate antiques, which, uh, oh, we never got back to, like, the Confederate thing being taken down. So, they're basically taking down all this Confederacy stuff, in currently, as of right now, in 2018, because the Confederate flag is a symbolism of slavery. Now, however, I don't believe we should just, like, wipe away stuff because it, it, it represents... Uh, a, a, a black eye in American history because it's still a, it's still history. There you th- there's a point I must make here is that public art should serve the public. If the public doesn't want it, it should not be there. Uh, but to preserve the history, you should move those monuments to a museum. Yes. Such as how Greek statues have been moved to their own museums and whatnot. Yes. So you preserve it by putting it in a museum. But don't harass the, the the public with it if they don't really want it. Yeah. A good portion of those Confederate Confederate uh, monuments were built uh, during the um, uh, in in the, in the 1960s. To basically, uh, the Civil Rights Movement. It was a response to that. So uh, that is trying to you know have the idea that white supremacy it should be in the in the forefront of the imagination. That type of uh, idea isn't really modern and progressive. So I have no issue with removing the monuments. Just put them somewhere. Yeah. um, A lot of people will say that, you know, Robert E. Lee was a great military leader and a great general. However, he was fighting for the South to get what they want, and what they wanted was slavery. Correct. No bones about it. In in different states, the Confederate... Uh, proclamations or whatnot, uh, all of the different paperwork. It states, you know, right to own slaves. Yeah. So. Um, one thing I had to point out in my little history lesson about Robert E. Lee is that him and uh, Ulysses S. Grant went to West Point together. They were brothers at West Point. And then they uh, end up having to be on opposite sides of the war. Grant led the Union Army and 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 Lee led the Confederacy. Nothing personal, bro. Yeah. And that must have <laughs> kind of sucked. You got to think about that. And then yeah. who, who wins the war and becomes president? Ulysses S. Grant. Mm-hmm. Now, during the inauguration, I think, of Ulysses S. Grant as president of the United States, or, or after the war ends and they win, he 
uh, Lee is getting like booed, and Grant calls him up on stage to to uh, announce that you know they are no longer two countries; they are, we are one country, and to stop tr- mistreating each other because you were on opposite sides of the war. This is why we had a civil war. So he actually stood up for Lee, um, despite having to you know fight against him. Yeah, as as clean surrender. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, yeah, Grant would uh, go on to become president of the United States and technically considered not going to be one of the greatest presidents of the United States. Um. Well, speaking of surrender, uh, one of the objects that is kind of uh, the driving force for Atticus Rook to go back in time uh, in order to acquire is the broken sword of Robert E. Lee. Yeah. Like he, like he broke the sword so that he couldn't surrender, and... That's not true. No, I, again, there's a lot of historical mismatched fiction in this episode, so um, I, I just think it's funny that he's using it exactly the way like Marty McFly wanted to use in Back to the Future Part Two. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, <laughs> so uh, you but know, see, here's the thing that I I was thinking about this during this episode. There's definitely that whole Back to the Future idea. You know, you see Ryan's picture come up yeah, after he was and Ryan sent back get... in time. Yeah, that happened in Back to Future Part 3, which was was set in the Old West after the events of the Civil War. Yes. 1886. Uh, 1880, yeah, 1884. 86, so, whatever. So Atticus Rook is trying to get close to Robert E. Lee and getting him to trust him with information, and then he actually gives him a map of the Northern movements. So the one thing I wanted to point out about Back to the Future, by the way, is they never actually go to any historical time period. It, 1955 and 1885 aren't exactly historical time periods other than, like, significant points in history where the lightning struck the tower. Oh, and we lost the teacher, too. I mean, I guess that's when we lost that te- that famous teacher, right? The one that went over yeah. the revere? Because that was a story I was told about in school before Back to the Future Part 3 came out. I, I think they're more of a personal point because Doc Brown went to a date that was meaningful to him. Oh, that's right, yeah. But he also points out, we can go back and see the de- signing of the Declaration of Independence, 1776, or go back to 1955. Oh, that's the day I invented time travel. <laughs> so, um, I, the reason I bring up Back to the Future is because here at the Boston Comic Con, I know I didn't get a chance to meet any of them, the lines are too long, but the cast of Back to the Future was at the Boston Comic Con a couple weeks, uh, yeah, a couple weeks ago, including Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. Nice, nice. The panel for it was completely packed. I believe it. <laughs> it was packed from front to back. Oh, and wow. the only other panel to pack the room that heavy was Jeff Goldblum's panel. Yep, legit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I would have totally gone to that one too. I just, unless I was going to sit in the front, I was no way I was going to sit in that panel. So, um, And I probably could have because I had a press pass. So I don't always take advantage of the panels because I'm too busy getting walking around, marketing the show, and looking at comics to get signed and stuff like that. But once in a while there's a panel I go to. This time it just it just wasn't in my card. So. Plus I was also in a very encumbering costume that's hard to sit down in. So. Um, but you're going to be at Dragon Con coming up. Uh, I the think the weekend. I will be in Dragon Con. Yeah, and we are actually recording this episode on August 19th, but uh, we have pretty much filled out our three episodes for the month. This episode will air the 7th of September, and you will have been back for Dragon Con. Indeed. So Indeed. Uh, make sure you market the shit out of the show. Oh, yeah, I'm getting some business cards. Yeah, I was going to recommend, get the business cards done for the Dead TV podcast. You don't have to do it for any of the other radio horror shows. Just make sure you put on the business cards a radio horror 
uh, network show. We'll talk, we'll talk, we'll talk. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to a voiceover class in the podcasting uh, uh, line of classes over at Dragon Con. Okay. Well, just send me an image of what the business card is going to look like, you know, before you send it off to to uh, Vista Print or whatever. It, their turnaround is is very quick. It's usually like five business days, but just before you send it out, just send it to me so I can go. That's fine, or just at least add this that. What do you think I am? You All right, no, 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 no. Just I just don't want to see the business cards and go. Ah, oh, I wish you'd sent things to me before you. Printed 500 of them. I'm uh, a professional, man. All right, all right, all right. So the crew go back to the store, and Ryan follows up with uh, the chick that he has to check out because he needs to know who that girl is and follows the Civil War dealer. The one thing I don't... Okay, again, the McDuffins in this episode. Okay, so it's cool that he's using the, 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 the projector to travel through time, mm-hmm. but it's like he needs to... The guy, Atticus, needs to kill somebody to appease the curse, what if you, like, threw people into the time portal and, and stuck them there? That appeased the curse. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. It's like a cool use of the cursed object, but it's like, oh, I gotta kill somebody because the curse needs somebody to die. That's really stupid and bad writing. I I don't know. Uh, it... And if, Jim, you wrote this episode, I, I, I completely <laughs> uh, take all that back. Who wrote this episode? It better not have been Jim Henson. <laughs> oh, okay. It was Peter Job and Timothy Bond. All right. <laughs> okay. So Jack mentions uh, late in the episode that a curse of that requires a hefty payment. So having on the front side and the back side in order to make your travel seems it seems right. I mean, gotten uh, less for for more before. So. Um, what I don't really understand about the curse is how the hell would you have figured out that you needed to kill someone while the lantern was lit in order to travel through time? Yeah. Like, did he accidentally kill someone and then, like, whoa, this is weird, and then just walk through the the projection? Plot holes. I, I don't know. Like, that that's always interesting. Like, how do people discover what their object is cursed with. Plot holes. Maybe just telepathically, you know, they just instantly understand and, you know, without any words or consciousness. I don't know. Plot holes. Devil works in mysterious ways. No, just plot holes. (laughs) Big enough plot holes I can drive a truck through. Okay, so Ryan, um, uh, Mickey and Jack jump immediately to time travel like, like that, just... A snap of the fingers, uh, they're they're right on. Like, oh, it's gonna be time travel. So Ryan is transported back in time to the Civil War, and okay, once again, is Ryan from Chicago or is Curious Goods in Chicago? Because he answers, "Where are you from?" Uh, he says Chicago. Uh, I believe Ryan is in Chicago. Is from Chicago, as was mentioned in the first episode. That's right. Okay, so Curious Goods is not from Chicago because Ryan has to travel there in the first episode, Inheritance. Um, yes. Jack and Mickey find the projector, and Mickey's going to turn it off, but then Jack warns her not to because it's the only way for Ryan to get back. The special effect that they do to symbolize the time portal is very simple. It's it's obviously somebody in the distance opening a door of light on a soundstage or something, um, mm-hmm. or it's a it's a different shot that Ryan is looking at from what we are seeing. Like the the time portal and Ryan are not in the same shots. So it's obviously somebody opening a door of light in the darkness with a lot of fog, with a fog machine going. And Mm -hmm. it's just simple. It's very simple. It kind of reminds me of Quantum Leap. 
Yeah, yeah. You just open the door, go through the light, and then boop, you're you're there. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the quantum leap accelerator. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You know, if that didn't already have its own podcast, I would do Quantum Leap, but it's also five seasons long. But that yeah, show was canceled, <laughs> so... God, I miss Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap was the best freaking show. And Sam... Um, um, uh, the actor who played uh, Sam Beckett... Um, uh-huh. Shit, I forgot his name now. You know who I'm talking about. I do, I okay. do. He deserved to win a... You know, like uh, an Emmy or something, because of all the different characters he had to play. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable the different characters he, you know, had to play for Scott Bakula. That was his name, Scott Bakula. Um, of course, who would go on to play Jonathan Archer on Star Trek Enterprise. So, mm-hmm. all right. So back to the episode in question. After my love of Quantum Leap. <laughs> uh, yeah. One one of the things that he, when you're dealing with time travel and this whole Back to the Futureness of this episode with Ryan's picture and, and you know, that he was executed, all that. Um, since Atticus Rook is taking those maps of the northern troop movements and promising them to Robert E. Lee and actually giving them to him at the end, it makes me wonder if he was doing that because he was a Confederate sympathizer or if this is what he needed to do in order to accomplish the history that we have today. Did you say Back to the Future? Yes. <laughs> Okay. All right, so that's silly this. Let's get it going. This, by the way, there is Back to the Future Western music version too, because in Part Three they go to the Old West. <laughs> yeah, but it's nothing like the first one. Right. The music was awesome. Now, was Chicago part of the Northern Civil War? Uh, was it established by that time? Yeah, because uh, they get really think, iffy when he's I like think... Chicago. He's like, oh, he's a Yankee spy. Yeah, uh, yeah, but. Uh... I mean, it is in the northern states. It would be part of the north. You know, we kind of get our daily or weekly dose of Back to the Future time travel-ness um, on a show that recently was canceled. Uh, that it was like on an NBC. But DC's Legends of Tomorrow, almost every episode, they're in a different time period. Is that still on the air? Yeah, they got picked up for a fourth season. And in the fourth season, oh. the uh, their newest cast member is Matt Ryan, a.k.a. John Constantine. Constantine! Yeah, John Constantine has become a permanent member of the Legends on DC's Legends of Tomorrow this coming season. 
That pleases my punch. Yes, he is. Uh, for anyone listening, <laughs> you stay, we covered all 13 episodes of Constantine, plus the Arrowverse uh, crossover uh, with Constantine and the JLA Dark movie. Uh, but uh, last season, Constantine was on three episodes, and he's going to become now a permanent cast member on the show, and a lot of people are very excited. And I, I, I can't be more excited as well. There are going to be a lot more Supernatural-themed episodes to to uh, Constantine, uh, sorry, GC Legends coming up. So, Yeah. You know, on the, when we talk about the MacGuffin of the episode, uh, it's surprising that it's the lantern and not the, you know, the projector or the slide or any of that other stuff. Or the sword of uh, Robert E. Lee. How cool is that? Yeah, the sword of Robert E. Lee. And, yeah. I, I, you know what? I could have done without the time travel part if they had made the sword of Robert E. Lee the MacGuffin in the episode. And the guys, you know, the crew is like, we got to steal the sword of Robert E. Lee, one of history's greatest generals. And like nobody will ever know that they that the you know they you know the famous sword of Robert E Lee is is now locked away in a in a vault in a antique store. But that would be interesting. But as as it was mentioned in the episode that the uh, sword of Robert E Lee was at the Museum of the Confederacy, and I say was at the Museum of Confederacy because even though that was its resting place for a hundred years, uh, it actually was moved uh, to the um, to a uh, Appomattox Courthouse, which is actually not a real courthouse. That's the name of the town, Appomattox Courthouse, uh, to basically be put with uh, the place of surrender in their museums up there. Ah, okay. Um, yeah. So a detective goes, uh, after Ryan is framed for murder by Atticus, a uh, detective goes to investigate and is killed. Yes. Ryan tells the truth about time travel to Abigail, and she's like, you're crazy. And this is basically like every other time travel thing where a guy from the future or woman, uh, you know, Outlander, which, by the way, as far as I'm aware, Outlander is the only time travel show. And please correct me if I'm wrong. That stars a female as the lead time traveler, right? Well, I mean, Doctor Who soon. Well, OK, but that's <laughs> OK. First of all, that hasn't even aired yet. So as of the recording of this, yeah, on yeah, August 18, 2018. There is, other than the end of the last time we saw the Doctor, but yes, there is a female Doctor, but that doesn't count. Um, okay. First of all, she's an alien, and for, okay. second of all, it's it's a transgender alien mix-up thing, whatever. It's it's not the same she's thing. She's a time lord, she's not really a time traveler. Yeah, and, and obviously the sex of the Doctor doesn't seem to matter anymore. So No, it doesn't. But in, not at all. But in the case of Outlander, the main character is a woman who time travels from like the 1950s to... You know, the Crusades or something? I've never watched it, but I know it's insanely popular. So, um, she's a nurse, too, right, I think? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, again, I don't watch Outlander, but I'm familiar enough with it. I know how popular it is. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I just laughed out loud when it was said is that it, it was played on that preview clip that you played earlier in the episode here, is that it was, Ryan says, I'm not on any side. And that's weird, because she, he has to prove that he's a time traveler to just prove that he's not a Yankee. <laughs> yeah, he has to, uh, he needs to see Robert E. Lee, which everyone, you know, Abigail's like, you're crazy, you're never going to meet Robert E. Lee. Why don't you tell them that I'm a Yankee spy and, and you know, surrender me? Poor Abigail, unfortunately, does not have longevity in this episode, so no, I'm kind of curious no. how much history's changed if Rook kills her. But, this uh, episode actually had a high body count, too. Well, Seven. The, uh, it was probably more, considering it was the Civil War. Well, yeah, but, you know, that we actively see. Seven. So Mickey goes into time travels to pull Ryan back, and Rook is left in the past. 
But and, oh my God, what an ending! Yeah, and then Ryan's yeah. got like kind of a uh, oh yeah, I brought back a souvenir. He kind of looks at the camera slightly, uh, breaking the third wall when uh, like, when wink, uh, wink. yeah when Jack points out that uh, they they have the sword of Robert E. Lee. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching this with my partner and my son, and uh, that final ending where uh, Atticus Rook is kind of uh, halfway in the wall, or more than halfway in the wall, and his hand and his face has an imprint in the wall, and I mean, we just went, it was amazing. That was such a good idea and good execution on that last death. Love it. So that's pretty much it for our history lesson about the Civil War. One thing I thought I'd point out, because this is the 13th episode of Friday the 13th, the series, is that uh, this year marks the anniversary, it's the 25th anniversary, in fact, it was actually earlier this month, I think it was like a week ago, in fact, oh yes, it was on the 13th of August, which I don't know if that date fell on a Friday, I'm assuming it did, because they tried to release these movies on a Friday, Um, Mm -hmm. August 13th. August, see, I'm going to look it up right now. August 13th, <laughs> 1993, uh, was on a Friday. And it was the release of Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. The Final Friday. Which starred John D. LeMay as Steven, with glasses on, by the way, and a ridiculous haircut. I just rewatched the movie <laughs> and I noticed that he has a ridiculous haircut. But he has glasses on halfway through the film, and then the other half of the movie he doesn't anymore. Then he looks like Ryan. But with glasses on, he doesn't look like Ryan. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that movie is so weird. If you've ever seen Jason Goes to Hell, uh, Sean Cunningham, who created the Friday the 13th movie franchise, wanted nothing to do with Jason in the hockey mask. He didn't mind Jason as much as he just didn't like the hockey mask. And he has made that point clear so many times. That mm-hmm. when he hired Adam Marcus, who was 23 years old, by the way, 23 years old when he directed Jason Goes to Hell, he told Adam, get rid of that hockey mask any way you can. So he came up with this idea that Jason gets killed off at the beginning of the movie, and he starts body jumping around the entire film. All right. And he's eventually reborn by going up through the vagina of his half-sister, played by Aaron Gray of Buck Rogers fame. Right. Yeah, and and she's actually going to be a dragon con as well. <laughs> yes, you'll have to bring up to her, you you must bring up to her about Jason being reborn through. His, yeah, she's his, te- she's teaching some tai chi classes. Yoga or something, right? Tai chi. Yeah, okay. uh, tai chi. Okay, and her and uh, John D. LeMay have a scene together before she's killed, and is like a big part of this movie. It was it was I but I would love to know the story behind like leaving Friday the Thirteenth the series. And then going on to the movie franchise three years later, which is, like, the only actor to really do it other than, like, a couple directors. Like, Tom McLaughlin directed uh, several episodes of the TV series, but also directed Part 6, as we've mentioned numerous times. Mm-hmm. So, But he's the only major actor of the three between uh, Chris and Roby to transfer over. There were bit part actors here and there that were in movies as well, so that that's not what I'm talking about. But... Um, Hopefully he'll come on the show before the season's over because we are in the middle of now of season two, uh, but uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see. So because we'd love to talk about it, obviously the series that we're covering and Jason goes to hell and hopefully sometime this year because a at the end of the year we'll be done with Friday the Thirteenth the series and b uh, it will no longer be the twenty fifth anniversary of Jason goes to hell. Um, this is also by the way the fifteenth anniversary of Freddy versus Jason. 
Nice. Yes. But <laughs> I had to rewatch Jason Goes to Hell the other night uh, because we're doing Friday the 13th, the series. And, you know, again, John is a main character. He's like the main character in that or whatever. He's the he's the guy who drives the story. Yeah. If you watch Jason Goes to Hell, if you've never seen it before, watch it if you love the TV series Friday the 13th. If you've been avoiding watching it for years, stop. Because John D. LeMay is... The freaking he's the not the narrator, but he is the the character who we follow through the whole movie. Is he is trying to save his ex girlfriend, his his newborn baby from Jason Voorhees. Sounds awesome. It does. All right, so we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back. Uh, oh, by the way, did you ever own a projector? I forgot about that. I I have a modern projector, not anything like that. Okay, gotcha. All right, so I don't own one, uh, not not like that either. So Okay, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with uh, episode 14 of Friday the 13th, the series. Picture perfect on Friday the 13th. Yeah, now, kill me with your eyes. Mirror, mirror in her hand. Tabitha, sorry. Who's the hottest model in the land? My face, my face. She who wields the power of the cursed compact. That's who. Put that away, will you? You're messing up my shots. Get out of here! On an all-new episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Next week, Satan's cover girl. And we're back with Friday the 13th, the series. And I love how the promo calls it Satan's cover girl. <laughs> that would have been great as the title of the episode instead of the the one we have, which is Face of Evil. And Mr. Face Seneca evil. has the episode synopsis for us. And this episode was written by Jim Henshaw. Ooh. Uh, Face of Evil originally aired February 6, 1989. A model uses a cursed compact to dispose of anyone who stands in the way of her success, including her doctor and her lover. Now, I actually messaged Jim to find out if he has any information about... Uh, the uh, the return of the beauty compact, uh, uh-huh. but he didn't have a chance of messaging me back yet. Uh, time zones are a little funky, so maybe he'll give me some tidbit of information to add in uh, later on. So because we're not okay. we're not airing this for a couple weeks, so um, if I can get him to do a soundbite, maybe, but uh, we'll see. Okay. Uh, so the beginning of this episode is just basically a recap of the episode Vanity's Mirror. Yeah. Um. The first. Uh, I wrote down eight and a half fucking minutes is a goddamn recap. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot. <laughs> so, Jim, I know you listened to this podcast because you mentioned it, and I appreciate that, but I gotta ask you, was it studio mandate that you had to do an eight and a half minute recap? Wow! <laughs> Cut in between pitch, uh, slices of Joanne walking to um to her sister's grave. One thing I also got to point out, the uh-huh. previous episode this woman was in, she kind of looked like she was a teenager, maybe. The the episode she's in now, she definitely looks like she's somebody in her 20s. She's only supposed to be, according to the timeline of the show, 19, maybe? 19. She could totally be 19 in this episode for what she's doing. Maybe, but also, how many 19-year-olds do you know, fresh out of high school... You have a career like that all of a sudden. If you're in the modeling career, she, uh, you not. should have a, a, a career artist. by age 15. But she's not. She's just a makeup artist. No, she's a makeup artist, but you're in that realm. And so when you're, when you're in that, you've probably been studying your makeup craft for years. And this is your first apprenticeship, uh, you know, 
first career right out of the gate, and it was given to you by a supermodel. So, which means you are some pretty damn talented folk. I have to say. Yeah. She, she offered to do, you know, her sister's makeup, you know, and so that was already thought of that this is the career that she's going into. Now, I started watching this episode, and I'm like, I'm writing down notes as I'm watching it. Oh, Flowers, the Graveyard, Flowers for the Dead, very, very pretty girl. Oh, shit, it's the Compact Return episode. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Now, the last we saw the Compact <laughs> was underneath a bush, and we don't, that was it. It just, the episode ends, and, and then we have the, uh, the, the, the credits. Um, so we never see her find the compact and pick it up. So by chance, I'm assuming this uh, Joanne did not go right back to school the following day after her sister was killed. She probably took a few days off. I, I would think so, gold? but I think she might have actually found that compact uh, that night or the next night because sometimes when you uh, have a traumatic experience, you go back to the scene of the crime in in the daylight because it's not as scary mm, yeah i don't know it just it, it just a little just a little weird that's all um uh, but uh it, it, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that what you returned things, to it and are, i'm wondering my only question is is do you think you know how many episodes had jim saw before this and or was it like a studio mandate saying hey uh why don't we get back to that one object they never found um don't know that would definitely be a good question for him. Yeah, like, was it his idea to go, hey, wasn't there uh, an object that you, they never recovered? Could we go back to that? Or was it, like, was it their decision? You know, just whose decision was it to go back to the compact? Or was it always on the mm-hmm. bulletin board of the writer's room going, compact, got to get back to it this season? <laughs> it's on the idea board. Brainstorm yeah. that. Um, I I don't know. And this is the okay. same woman, right, who played Joanne in the last episode? Yeah, same same actress. Okay, same actress. Good. Does Tabitha remind you of anybody? Played by Laura Robinson? Uh, I mean, she is like an archetype of the bitchy model. She and is... I knew a few models, and yeah, Tabitha is... I mean, pretty much any of those models that you saw there, that attitude, that aloofness, the, the insecurities that just steep from their pores, yeah, that's the modeling world. Now, the woman who plays Tabitha, by the way, has been on something called Celebrity Name Game for almost 400 episodes. She's an executive producer. What is the Celebrity Name Game? It's got to be Canadian. It's got to be something Canadian. I have never heard of that show in my entire life here in the United States. Yeah, it's celebrities' guests team up with a group of contestants, and together they work against the clock to identify a variety of famous names. It's been on since 2014. Well, that's not the only game she's involved with because uh, oh, and the host Laura of, Robinson. The host of it is Craig. Huh? The, the host of it is Craig Ferguson. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. It's got one of the worst ratings on IMDb. So. <laughs> oh no no. Okay. But it's been on uh, for. It's been. It must be like a daily show because it has almost five hundred episodes. Uh, but anyway, uh, Laura Robinson also created the board the board game Balderdash. And also the board game Identity Crisis. So games are kind of her thing, I think. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Um, but it was great that they remember their continuity and go back to it. it. Poor Joanna seems pretty much down on her luck again with, uh, you know, having lost her boyfriend and her sister to Satan. Um, mm-hmm. We She's working for kind of a dickhole uh, photographer and uh, kind of a Kardashian. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, when you're the assistant to someone like that, that pretty much has everything she ever wants, you end up doing a lot of weird things. A lot of harassment or abuse. Yeah, this is also kind of like the, did you, uh, sorry, let me start over. Did you happen to notice the fo- what type of photo shoot was going on? Well, it's a it's a cover shoot for it, a fashion magazine. Oh, okay. Well, it looked like um, gangster porno. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a gangster theme. Uh, as the photo shoot later in the theme, uh, when you're taking pictures of high fashion, which is that's what they were trying to illustrate, high fashion, the amount of time that you take to set up a shot. I mean, this is six hours of setting up the lighting, the props, the everything in the background, and you're wanting to get an entire uh, view of the theme of the of the object, uh, a sense of beauty, a sense of style, and an attitude. And what I noticed that the photographer was doing uh, was a lot of close-ups, like intense close-ups, and I think be- because they were trying to illustrate that this photographer was really sweet on uh, the model named Sandra. Uh, but in a, in a high-fashion uh, shoot like that, you would not get such extreme close-ups. These are, um, you'd have a, like, almost a one-third of the page would be dedicated to the model, whether it is a close-up vision, but not like an extreme close-up of the face. It would actually ha- incorporate some of the background elements into it. Uh, high fashion photography is so exact. It is such high pressure industry that what they're portraying in this episode is well within the realms of a possibility that you would encounter on a photo shoot like that. You've done modeling before. Did you ever have to kill yes. somebody for a, for a, uh, for a role? No, but I've wanted to kill the recruiters sometimes. <laughs> rejection is hard. Oh, rejection. Uh, okay, I was thinking of something a little bit more darker, like they tried to do a, yeah. like they tried to do a casting couch. That has been attempted as well. It, it is prevalent in the entertainment industry and I was I had tried to be a regular model, did not work. I did runway for a little bit. Um uh, but most of it was my fetish modeling, oh. and I felt com- I felt comfortable there because uh, there's not that pressure to look perfect. And actually, imperfections are sometimes uh, what makes a photo. So her being so uh, focused on her on her crow's feet around her eyes, like honestly, that's not what they would be looking at. It would be the overall attitude of the shot, and a good makeup artist would be able to just swathe all that out. It didn't, wouldn't even have to have Photoshop. Now, but, um, uh, yeah. How crazy did your fetish photo shoots get? Um, crazy. I mean, I've been covered in foods. I've been uh, wrapped in latex and saran wrap. Uh, different types of costumes, electronics, uh, chocolate syrup. Because um, I, I, I just love being covered in food. It's called sploshing. Excellent. Love it. Um, but crazy. I, I, I once tried to get a job for a fetish video where I was to be choked out until I passed out. I did not get the job because I could not actually pass out. I was you know, under very strict controls on how much blood is going to be cut off to my brain. and Like, safety, safety, safety. And I could not pass out, so I didn't get the job. By the way, that's probably the craziest one. 
Cora St. Clair in this episode, who is one of the models. We just got done talking about Videodrome in the, in the last episode. She is also in Videodrome. She plays Masha. Oh. Oh, okay. I didn't even know she was on that. Yeah. She unfortunately passed away in 1989, so actually the same year as this episode, or the... Or the um, yeah, the same year this episode aired, she passed away. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, kind of wonder wonder why, because she was uh, she was the was she old, one of the models? No, she's the old woman. She's the um producer, the, the elderly lady. She was sixty nine. Oh, she, that's why I'm like, wait a minute, that's right. She was the um she was in Videodrome. She was the she was the woman who uh uh, uh was giving you know she she worked with um. James Woods' character. Yeah. At the TV yeah. station. Oh, okay. Well, if it, if you haven't seen Videodrome, please see it. It's awesome. Cronenberg, awesome. Yeah, but if you watch okay. this episode, then watch Videodrome, you'll know exactly, uh, you know, who, who who I'm talking about, so. Um, yeah. But, uh, one thing... This I is got... also the first object that changes how it interacts with its victims. Well, Ryan points that out, too, because the entire time I'm watching this, I'm questioning, I'm going, um... Why is the curse different? And then Ryan points out that, or Mickey points out, that Tabitha already is beautiful. So why yeah. would the cursed object even work for her? Well, because she's also aging. And very insecure. But you're right. The curse changes, and it's another question to ask Jim, uh, if I can get a hold of him, about like well, why well, did the Jack curse... Well, Jack actually mentions it later in the episode, saying that it's... Not it, it's simply a vehicle or a weapon of revenge. So, yeah, you know, the sister, just, sister wanted revenge, and you know, so maybe that's how it just produces the effect. You know, if someone wants revenge a certain way. But good use of Joanne keeping the compactor herself after knowing exactly what it does, and then of course she yes. tries to reach out to Ryan. She hesitates about telling him that it's her, and then she stops by the store right afterwards because she can't take the guilt any longer. Yeah, yeah. It, things have spiraled out of her control, and she has to call in the pros. Yeah, very good use. Who are you going to call? Curious goods! <laughs> Basically, yeah, pretty much. Um, even though that joke was not as funny as you thought it was. Oh! oh. <laughs> oh yeah, I got jokes too. They're all on you. <laughs> so, um, what are, what was my notes here? Uh, Tabitha kills a dude very Jason Voorhees style. Wow. I mean, first of all, the body falling over the railing, you're like, oh boy, look at that dummy. And then it lands, and then he like looks up, and he's all like pieces of glass in his face and his neck. He's like, oh, yeah. dead. I was like, yep. shit, dude. And again, Jim, you mentioned, uh, like, we were trying to do something less violent. There are so many violent episodes in this season. I mean, God, that guy dies horribly. Yeah, and, and the both models that actually she gets her revenge on survive, but they're just maimed. One, her face is, like, burned, and the other, her eye is, like, you know, broken, and oh. her face is, is all bloodied. It's like, dude, that was you just horrible. ruined their careers. That was horrible. But that was the purpose. Do you remember the movie Hostel? Uh, I've only seen in pieces of it. Okay, at the end of the movie, there's an Asian character that the main character who survives rescues, and she commits suicide after seeing herself in a mirror. Half her face was blowtorched, and her eyeball is hanging out of the socket. Yeah. And she throws herself in front of a train after looking in the mirror and seeing her disfigurement. 
Um, and she was an Asian actress as well. And this chick who gets uh, the, um, the 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 lighting, the eye injury, yeah, the eye injury after the lighting uh, fixture yeah. falls on her, kind of reminded me of that same actress. Just the way, also, it was the same side of her face. And because the two actresses are Asian as well, I was like, "Wow, maybe Eli Roth watched the show." I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't be surprised if Eli Roth, Eli Roth watched Friday the Thirteenth the series. Would not surprise me. Not no. <laughs> also, why is the photographer not covered up when he's wheeled away? He is clearly dead. Yeah, he's clearly dead. Gore <laughs> uh, factor. Why uh, shock is value. He not covered. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> they usually cover a body. Yeah. Yeah, but... I just got. I just saw the Meg, and one of the characters in that dies. They immediately cover him up. This compact has absolutely no staying power. Like, Wait. she is killing someone every day, you know, to oh. try to maintain her looks. Are them crow's feet just really bothering her? Lady, you're pretty hot. Don't need to uh, keep overdoing it with the makeup and the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, um, the hair dye. Now, I say that, but I'm thinking about dyeing my hair. My, my gray roots are just really beginning <laughs> to bother me. <laughs> it's so funny we're doing this episode because I just got done listening to Felicitations, episode 11. And for anyone not familiar with Felicitations, that is Felicia Day's podcast. And I will listen and read and watch almost anything Felicia Day does because she speaks geek. Now, yes, she I, does. I say that, and she points out in the episode, the newest episode of her podcast, about she ran into a fan while she was in Hawaii who she'll take as many pictures as you want to get the perfect picture. The fan said, oh, I don't want to take off my glasses because Felicia always recommends taking off your glasses or taking off your hat or whatever if you can show your face. And she's like, I look mm-hmm. ugly with my glasses off. I'm just, I'm really disgusting. And Felicia Day talks about how she was really taken aback by that when this girl was, as she described, not ugly. She was incredibly beautiful and she, w- she wished she had looked as beautiful as she did when she was her age. Um, Felicia Day recently had a kid, so she's feeling like, you know, the, the effects of having a child and being a mom yeah. in Hollywood and being an actress. So a lot of that stuff comes out in the podcast a lot, which is, makes it a very interesting podcast to listen to because she's also talking about being a new mother now. She's been a mother for 18 months. Um, and her, her pregnancy was a big surprise to a lot of people because, like, the month before she was due, she announced she was pregnant to everybody. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. She had been keeping it a secret for a very long time <laughs> from the public, from the public. But a lot, of par- a lot of people like on Supernatural and other projects that she's worked with and close friends of hers like Nathan Fillion and Joss Whedon had already knew about, known about it. The father has always been a secret and is still remaining a secret. And that's perfectly fine. Let her have her privacy. But uh, And she doesn't show pictures of her kid either. She wants her kid to remain out of her yeah. spotlight. But she will talk about her child. And she talks about the Kardashians and how, you know, she's worried that these young girls are looking at the Kardashians and trying to live up to them when they really shouldn't be. And in my opinion, the Kardashians and everyone connected to their family, everybody connected to their family, are monsters. I just don't find what is interesting about them. What do you find interesting about Felicia Day? Do you, you know who Felicia Day is, of course. Oh, yes, okay, yes. Okay. Well, one, she's excellent at musicals. <laughs> and... She's- She's funny, she's witty, she knows the, the pop culture that I enjoy. And what is Felicia Day most known for? Uh, Legend of Neo? No. <laughs> no, The Guild. The first ever web series ever developed, and it was developed by a woman. That's true, but I do love her on Legend of Neo. I don't know what that is. 
Okay, it is The Legend of Zelda, uh, done live action in this comedy uh, episode-based thing. Oh. And Felicia Day uh, plays the fairy. Oh, okay. I'll have to check that out. I know she was on Magicians recently, and, uh, of course, she plays uh, the lesbian hacker Charlie on Supernatural. In awesome. one dimension or another. She was on the show for a little while. She got killed off. She came back from another dimension. So she's back on the show. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. how you bring someone back from the dead whose body is burnt to a crisp and killed. And the ashes <laughs> are scattered. <laughs> and uh, and you can't forget Felicia Day on Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Yeah, she was the main female character in that. And they are planning exactly. to do a sequel to Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. So, um, that horse, that horse, yes. I, I hope... She comes back in some capacity, even though she was killed off in the movie. She's she's dead. <laughs> she's dead. No, um, she, no, come on. Who stays dead anymore? I mean, they just killed somebody off in the most recent big X Men event, and I'm like, who freaking cares? <laughs> well, I I hear the the second uh, Doctor Horrible sing along blog will delve more into Bad Horse and his uh, crime syndicate. So right, I'm. I would really look forward to that. So this all goes back to the episode that we're talking about because it's about beauty and aging. And the reason that we're talking about Felicia Day and the Kardashians is because of Felicia's podcast. So if you lost us, we're bringing it back. This is what and I'm just explaining what, what it's all about. And this episode has a lot to do with, like the previous episode, with feeling ugly, inadequate, and, you know, and living up to these celebrities. Now, in this episode, obviously, we have, we're dealing with models and celebrities because all these models are very vapish and famous and... The photographer is like, oh, uh, we'll put the the good-looking Asian act, you know, model ahead of you because she's a virgin and she's sweet and young I and mean, you're old. I, I, I have to be honest here, is that it is cruel in the modeling industry. Absolutely fucking cruel. Yes. You know, the, the types of, of backhanded comments based upon your looks... Uh, and what someone perceives, like they are, they do not sugarcoat anything. They will tell it to you straight, and they will tell it to you in the way that cuts you the deepest. The um, when Tabitha finally gets her comeuppance, and they keep blocking her mirror shining technique that you know Joanne's sister used in the pre Helen used in the previous uh, episode of the compact uh, MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. It, it, it turns her into what looks like a mummy. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, because it prematurely ages her. Yeah, but Even Ryan... Even though she only used it for, like, three days. Ryan has this look about him before they cut to the next scene of serious pride and, like, yeah, bitch, we got you. Like, he looks down on her with this serious, like, that's right. <laughs> probably because this is the second time someone's tried to kill him with that compact. He's probably not going to be mourning their death more than a few seconds. Well, you have to consider that the way uh, she was defeated is that the reflection of the compact gets reflected back to her. That's exactly how uh, Medusa was slain by Perseus. Oh! Reflection of her face in the shield and reflected back to her. Correct. From good old Greek mythology, that is exactly how Medusa was done away with. So they bring the compact black. They black. They bring the compact back, and uh, you know uh, they're they're worried about Joanne because every time they enter her life, someone dies. But that's not their fault whatsoever. People were gonna die whether they found the compact, regardless. I mean, they had nothing to do with the compact getting to the hands of Tabitha at all. No. 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 And uh, and Jack mentions at the very end of the episode that it's not her fault that all these things happened. 
it's Uncle Lewis's fault, and that is completely true. So then uh, jo- uh, Joanne goes to the graves of both Tabitha and Helen, I believe, and uh, drops some flowers. I think that's what's implied there at the very end. Yeah, one is yellow for friendship because she was friends with Tabitha, and one is red because she loved her sister. Yep. So. Congratulations, you know your language of flowers. I do. I have dated more than enough women to have it explained to me. <laughs> I'm actually... I'm actually planning, um, and by the time this episode airs, uh, this won't be a spoiler, because uh, if she listens to the podcast, which I know she does sometimes, the date this episode will air, which is the 7th of September, it will actually be after Corey and I's one-year anniversary together. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. Um, So after this episode airs, sorry, before this episode airs, I will actually give her her anniversary gift, which is going to be uh, 12 roses for the 12 months we've been together. Aw, that's How so sweet. sweet am I? Oh, oh, you got some dimples in your cheeks. Oh, <laughs> come on, admit it. That's pretty fucking sweet. It is. It just gave me a cavity. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd like to also uh, give a little shout out as soon as I can bring it up on my email. Um... We also, for anyone listening and not familiar, I've mentioned it probably in every episode, so hopefully you have listened, we have a Patreon, and we would like you to join Patreon. You don't have to, but it does help the show in a lot of ways. And we recently had someone join the Patreon. His name is his name is Joe, and he has a pictures of a Chicago Bulls player, so I don't think this is him. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's Joe K9800. Excellent. Thank you so much, Joe. Yes, he is a currently now a Patreon supporter of the Radio Horror Network. Um, I sent him an email thanking him, but that's all the information I have for him because I'm not going to give out his email address. But, uh, yeah, K9800, that, that's kind of a cool – that sounds like a cool uh, 80s cop show with a with – a, with, with a dog. A, with a dog, yeah, K9. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe the K9800 could be like the, the dog's call sign because he's like a cyborg dog. Ooh. Like but, that new movie coming out. Yeah, X, K L K L X. Yeah, something like that. A uh, guy finds a robot dog in a junkyard. Uh, yeah. It looks like a movie you take your kids to go see. Like, I took my son to go see The Meg today. Oh, how is that? It's a lot of fun. He jumped a couple times, but afterwards I asked him several times, are you okay? Is it everything? He's like, oh, yeah, I like it. It's just it scared me. I was like, oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. But he okay. liked it. He totally liked it. Jason Statement, I'd watch anything he's in. He's such a... Goof. He's not a great actor because he just plays himself, but I yeah. will watch almost anything he's in. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. So that's okay. pretty much it for the Dead TV podcast. We've already gone over owning a, po- a compact in the previous episode. Yeah, and there's three people dead in this and two others maimed. Yes, two others horribly maimed who will probably not be having much of a modern career after this. Um the uh, God, I hope this never actually happens in the modeling industry. But I guarantee, if we were, we would look it up when we don't have time to. There are reports of horribly, hideously scarred models. Maybe Mr. Zeneca will find a report of one and post it on our Facebook page. Maybe I'll, I'll do, some, do some digging. Models uh, being bitches looking for revenge against each other basically would be the tagline of that article. Uh well, I mean. Ice skating? Is that close enough? No, <laughs> oh, no. I mean, everyone knows about Nancy Kerrigan. Uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, and I know I haven't seen the movie starring Margot Robbie. I'm waiting for it to be on Netflix to watch it. So, uh, I said, you know what? I want to see it, but I'm not going to go out of my way. So once it's on Netflix, I will watch it. 
Anyway, okay. so uh, that's all the time we have here for the Dead TV Podcast. Don't forget to check out the rest of the shows on the Radio Horror Network, such as Supernatural Creatures and Lore, uh, and the Lost Boys Movie Minute Podcast. Thank you, Mr. Zeneca, for joining me. And thank you, Dr. Chris. And everyone, have a good night. Don't forget to also find us on Twitter, Christy SAV and Elegant Kiki, and the Dead TV Podcast Facebook page.